You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. You Hello, sure? Susan. You sure? I'm positive. I don't know. I'm telling you, chemo brain, y'all going to have to send me messages every morning. Your name is Susan. See, look, it's fight in progress. It is. And you're having your own. I just may not remember it. <laughs> that might not be a bad thing, though, right? I'm not complaining. Y'all might. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, life gets more interesting by the day. We now have a new member at Under the Shield, a 14-week-old today German Shepherd puppy named Mackenzie, and I call her Mac. And she has now decided she can counter surf. Oh. She thinks she can jump on the counter. That's mm. been quite entertaining to watch. That's she a has, stretch for her, right? She has feet the size of a <laughs> freaking horse. <laughs> and she loves to watch horses on television. And I think she's identifying with them. Oh. Yes. Well, she's going to be as big as one. Probably. Yeah. And she and the bird are learning to coexist. Mm. But we had to put metal around the cage so the bird couldn't get to her. <laughs> the mean bird. The, the possessed, demonic, <laughs> evil parrot that resides in my backyard. So anyway, uh, tell us who our guest is today. Our guest today is Chad Campisi. But I like the way you said it a minute ago. Better. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you got it right. Very nice. So... I learned about Chad because I read his book. You read? I did. Joel, did you know he reads? I it's a few things. I didn't know motor cops could read. <laughs> Other than the ticket, right? Yeah, read or write. Well, that, that's, <laughs> I'm curious. You're you're a cop and you read. I know. And he apparently well, writes. I I'm an ex cop now. I'm retired from that life. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So I'm still impressed that you can read and write. <laughs> All wow. I have to do is read the signature, right? That's right. <laughs> Not hard. That's right. <laughs> so that's how I was introduced to Chad was through his book. But how did you find his book? Um, my wife. And what's it called? It's called Confessions of a Christian Fraud. Interesting. Yeah, how did your wife find it? I'm curious. You know, I don't. She she's always looking for different books to read and stuff and she came across yours oh no i think it was uh jonathan hickory um when we had read his book um break every chain and we got in touch with him and had him on the podcast yeah. we were talking to jonathan and he said hey here's another good book you might want to uh, look into rings a bell. and so oh, that's yeah, to jonathan a few times that yeah must be it. yeah so that's how tracy found okay. your book and then once we read your book she's like oh yeah we definitely need to get you on the podcast cool oh man nice what so what did you think you gotta tell me um you know you said it's not for the faint of heart to read that's true yeah. <laughs> and it is a hard read but in a good way i mean it's it's hard because of what you talk about what you went through all your experiences um and and i could relate to a lot of that stuff um, especially like you say, every Sunday you go to church and you just go through the motions. People ask, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm fine. I'm good. And that's not at all how you're really feeling. But on the surface, that's what you project. And 
No one asks anything more than that. Sure, sure. Um, and given that my ability to read and my time to read is becoming <laughs> less and less, and I figure by my six chemo, I won't even know my alphabet. Um, tell me your life story. My life story. Well, that's, yeah. that is a long story. And it's, it, I wrote it in a book, actually. So, you know, so, Any chance so there's an audible? I haven't read it. Then. Is there an audible well, to it? It is. No, I have. I've been suggested that because, as we've talked about, a men don't read really. Mm-hmm. And especially cops don't read. <laughs> so no, I did not do an audible yet. It has been suggested though, so I don't. Uh, I don't know how to do that though, to be quite honest. So I haven't delved into that. Do you know anybody who, that does that? Well, you know, I bet Mike in Dave Grossman's office could help you with that because yeah. Dave does most of his books himself or audible. He self-publishes a lot of his oh, stuff he reads too. Them himself too. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. So I bet, yeah, we could probably put you in touch Very with nice. Mike in his office, and Mike can get that information. Yeah, that might be a good way to facilitate that. Yeah, for absolutely. By all means, if, if he thinks it's worth it, then by all, cool. Well, yeah. do that one, and uh, I'll let you know if it's worth really it. Really is. <laughs> <laughs> good. Fair enough. So, yeah, life story you said. Um I've listened to a few of your podcasts, like I've said, and I feel a little weird being on here only because I'm not the uh, want to be a cop. I didn't grow up anything like that. My story is a little different. I uh, I just happened to think it seemed fun, to be honest. So <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. When was this that you thought it was fun? How long ago? So, oh man, would have been 21 years ago. Oh well, it was fun then. You're right. Okay, I'm sorry. You look a lot younger. Ago, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Okay, just checking. Yeah, not like in the last yes. five, ten years. No. <laughs> no. 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 Okay, I'm no, with I've you. I've been doing this for yeah, 21 years now. It's been a long time, and I went to so I went to school for culinary. Went to be a chef. That was not fun, by the way. <laughs> it was uh, it was good for a little bit. Wasn't fun. One of my friends there said, "Hey, you know, my buddy's a cop. We should try that." And I thought, well, heck, why not? I got nothing else that's coming to mind. So I wrote along. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I wrote along with CPD um, here in Columbus. And that was like, man, I wrote along one night and we got in a car chase and a foot pursuit, drugs off the street. I'm like, you, you guys get paid to do this? Yeah, no like, kidding. Seriously? Yeah. 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 And I, I was sold. I was sold. Sign me up. Day. The good old days. Yeah. Can't Sign do that now. Up, but yeah. No, not so much. But it, it was a lot of fun. And I, like I said, I was I was impressed they got paid to do it and was happy to happy to jump on in. Now, is the training academy in Columbus the big the big one? I, I want to say it's a state. I have a good friend who runs that now. Um, oh, so CPD Columbus Police have their own academy. I don't work for Columbus Police. I just work in the Columbus area. I work in a suburb here, um, but they have their own academy. Yeah. No, but isn't there another one that's not just Columbus? Uh, State Highway Patrol. State Highway Patrol has their own training academy as well. Okay. Um, Yeah, I was trying to look this up, and of course, I don't know why he has Ohio Renaissance Festival on his Facebook, (laughs) and he doesn't have where he works, but um, there was an academy there I was actually supposed to go teach years ago, and I don't know, we probably ought to follow up with that. It's been a while. (laughs) Um, So, any law enforcement family background, any of that? No, nothing. Nothing at all. Like I said, I, I, I'm, I listen to a few of your guys and they, you know, they're military and they're law enforcement families and it's all down the line. And they always, me, it just was, it seemed fun at the time. So that's what I jumped into, to be honest. And it was very fun there for a while, no doubt. So tell us how that career went. 
Um, so I started off in one place. I worked in uh, Marion, Ohio for a few years, and it's, it was a very busy, busy place, a lot of fun. Uh, and it turns out I got an offer from another department uh, in the central Ohio area, and it, it paid a lot more money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as you guys know, the money is, yeah. is not so great in law enforcement. And the guys who the guys who work the hardest tend to not get paid the most, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys that work in the more richer, wealthier suburbs work a little less. So I made that move and uh, went to a suburb in Columbus that I work in now. Um, I was blessed at both departments. They're both great departments. The one I work in now is awesome, too. You might have different opinions from different officers, obviously. Sure. But uh, that has that that has gone well for me um, until I guess I don't know how to exactly get in it. I think mine is more of a faith story Good. than a, a law enforcement. I think a little bit. Um, there were some things like I, like Tom said that I wrote in the book that kind of made my story with law enforcement clash with my belief about God and a good God. And, sure. you know, you see things on the street, you deal with people on the street, you deal with calls and you just think to yourself at the end, how, mm-hmm. how could a good God that loves us, that wants the best for us, that wants the best for my family, how could, how could he let some of this stuff happen? Sure. Um, and it really just clashed with my worldview at that time. And it kind of, kind of sent me in a bad direction. At what point <laughs> in your career, how far in were you? Um, I would say it was fun till about five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, about right. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. It, and I, like I said, I listened to a few of your podcasts and I think back now and I think maybe, maybe it wasn't all just faith. This may be just something that everybody faces as well, being in law enforcement and first responders. Sure. Um, but probably between seven and 10, I had some kids. Uh, my wife's a nurse. She works. We live we lived on different shifts, obviously, trying to shuttle kids from back and forth because we didn't have family in the area. So that was a mess, just trying to do that and kind of kind of moving apart there and being roommates in our home and not mm-hmm. really talking and then shift work on top of that and then going downhill with the faith thing. And it just kind of all came into a head probably around year 10, I would say. Now, were you working in specialties at all or was patrol your thing? So interestingly, and I, I was not in specialties. I always wanted to, when I got my new job, um, I wanted to be a detective. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to get on our, our equivalent of SWAT, I guess, here. Uh, and I think that my young kids obviously had an effect on that because working different shifts, that kind of stuff, you get called in all the time. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to do that. I think I think I had a lot of resentment toward my kids and my family because I wasn't able to jump into some things I wanted to do because I was always stuck you know, you get held over on overtime and you got to scramble and find a neighbor that'll watch your kids or something. And so I couldn't do any of the call out stuff. And I didn't ever get to jump into that at all, uh, really, until until now I'm part of the peer support team. But that's a whole other story. So that's the most I've ever actually had to get out because of my schedule at home, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Or fortunately, actually, in the long run, looking yeah. back, it was fortunately, <laughs> to be very honest. But you're still working. Yes, I'm actually a school resource officer here in the same suburb now. OK, how long are you going to? continue in this line of work well the thought after the last few years is i have four left before i can retire and i'm getting the heck out but um the job that i have now actually is full resource officer Mm -hmm. to be very honest i love it it's it's a total switch of being on the street is you know five percent positive 95 percent negative most of the time being in the school is like a a flip on its head where it's 95 percent positive and there's that 5% where you have to be a little more serious and get into some some deeper stuff. So as long as I'm in the schools and I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I, I don't know. We shall see because I'm very happy where I'm at. So it's been quite the life change. And y'all have a 25-year to be eligible? Yeah, in, in, in Ohio, it's 25 and out. Yeah. 
Is that and then you can do state? drop. You can do drop for eight okay. years. Okay. And is it a state retirement or each agency has their own? No, it's a state uh, okay. state pension. Okay. And now do the new cops coming in today also have that retirement? No. Uh, I was <laughs> Oh, come on, are... Tom. Don't get stupid <laughs> on us here. Yeah, no. I believe they're uh, 30 and age 52, and I was at 25 and 48. Wow. That's a good I was a little worried worried when they changed it. I was like, I'm I'm grandfathered in, right? Uh, That's not me, right? I do some checking, but thankfully I am. Yeah. 25 is too long. Yeah. 30 is absolutely just, that's just crazy, is what that is. But at least do they get vested there at a certain point? Uh, I got vested. We get vested at 15 years, but that's for a very low percentage. That's like a 20% if you started there. Um, and then you have to go, at least for my 25 and out, you have to go up to the 25 to get like 62%, I think. Okay. And if you leave if you leave before the 25, your max is like 30. So it's like you, you're you chained into 25. There's wow. no doubt. Or you don't get that max. But do the young ones ever get vested? Because out here they don't. Well, you know, I don't. I would assume it's pretty similar but i don't know how it has changed because i haven't i was grandfathered and i never took time to look into how it's changed now so i would assume it's pretty similar though they're probably vested after 15 still yeah our guys out here are going to just be chasing the money all their whole career there's no reason to be loyal to an agency just go from one get the bonus stay a year get the rest of the bonus (laughs) and then go to another one and get their bonus and yeah so what's your own waves oh yeah and 25 and they got to do 25 wow yes and you don't you don't ever get vested? No. And they don't get a retirement. No. Nope. Their their retirement is what they put in to the on a retirement account. Yep. It's like a four oh one K? Yeah. It's called something else. Yeah. It's a four oh one something. Yeah. It, it's a crazy thing. The department thing does contribute money to them, but it's nothing like nothing. your pension. Uh-uh. So where where is the benefit to sticking around then? Exactly. <laughs> there is a- I, they're they're gonna, I don't know. <laughs> that's what I said. Everybody's got bonuses. Yeah, that's why Phoenix PD is down 600. I don't know. Oh, well, at it, least. Well, they're at nine something, and oh. minimum staffing is 11 something, and they're projecting they'll only add 30 by the end of the year with attrition <laughs> oh, and retirement. Yeah. Oh, it's a mess. Wow. It's a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bad around here. It seems like departments are just kind of stealing from each department but everybody stays in ohio basically because that pension you invested and you have to stay in ohio it's not it's not like that i don't think wow well and the money's good out here it yeah. always has been when i moved out here 11 years ago i told them I, they'd complain and i'd go come on let's go back to the south and let me introduce you <laughs> to people making nothing but the money's yeah. really good out here so and it's warm it, yeah yeah, that well, too. You can and it's warm in nice yeah. weather. Sometimes it's really, really, yes. really, really warm. <laughs> uh, a little too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the vest and the long sleeves and the... Motor helmet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because you were stupid enough to be a motor cop who had to wear a helmet and boots. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's true. Sitting on, sitting on that engine in 105 degree uh, weather. So I'm yeah. just oh, beating good. right down on your yeah, head. Absolutely. You look for any sliver of shade. Well, the funniest thing I saw, because I'd never seen it in the South, is you go into a 7-Eleven gas station and the cops are in the beer cooler. <laughs> Literally in uniform and you're going... I'm you not sure cool that's down. a good look. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized what they were doing. Yeah. And I went, 
yeah. yeah, can't say I blame them for that. <laughs> so if you know people who want well, a lateral, uh, now would be a good time to come to the valley. <laughs> well, you know, the only problem with that is because I know a lot of people that have looked at lateraling also to Florida is if you if you're vested in our state pension for 15 years, you can't move that somewhere. Right. So that also keeps them in the state because you can't once you once you move you're that's gone. Sure. Done. Wow. Oh, man. All well, right, so crazy. tell me about this book. So the book. The book <laughs> what possessed you to write to be, it? The book wasn't supposed to be a book, to be very honest. Uh, what happened was, uh, I would say, like we talked about year 10 was kind of my, my down downward spiral there. Um, I have listened, like I said, to a lot of your podcasts, and I've heard a few guys who have reached out and talked to people. I was not that guy. I was the stubborn you know, for lack of a better word, asshole that wasn't going to talk to anybody and didn't need any help and could do it on my own. Oh, the kind so I, I love. <laughs> yeah. you, you are the no one doubt. I want on my couch. <laughs> Those other guys, they're not tough. They're wussies. They're, you know, whatever. Sure. But, so I, I took the easy route. And instead of talking to somebody, I went through four years of counseling school to get my bachelor's degree in counseling to try to figure out what was wrong with myself. Oh, that's a good plan. I figured, yeah, I figured, hey. What do I tell y'all? The people in mental health are crazier than the people that's they right. deal with. And he's dealing with his own crazy self. That was it. I, I was so embarrassed. I was so, I didn't tell my wife. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. But look, work's going to pay for me to go to school. Why not get my four-year degree in Christian counseling, figure out my faith, figure out my counseling, figure out what the heck is wrong with my head, and I'll fix it myself. And so that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for you? Um, you know what? And I, I've said it many times in some of my blogs and some of the people I've talked to. I was able to figure out to a point, to be very honest, what was wrong with me. Okay. But I wasn't able to fix it moving forward. Just because, just because you know kind of what's wrong didn't give me the tools or the ability to fix it. So what did you diagnose um, yourself with? Everything. <laughs> That's the problem with that DSM. If you look at it long enough, you're in the whole book. If you're breathing, you're in that book. Especially a cop. Yes. Oh. yes. Very, I mean, I was looking back at childhood. I'm thinking my parents, look what my parents did. Look at these situations I was in. Look at, and here, the funny thing is, again, listening to some of your other guests, like they had these stories from childhood and trauma and amazing things they've been through. And I just was shocked. Me, I'm just a suburban kid living in suburbia with my parents who, you know, wanted nothing but the best for me. But I'm just pointing out little things sure. like, oh, my mom, my mom said this to me one day and my dad. And I was I was, you know, blessed and taken care of like I wouldn't believe. So <laughs> I looking back on that, it's like there's nothing there that I can really point to. It's a lot more fun um, to blame your parents. So. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's easier to blame somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> so what did you really come to the conclusion that your problem was? So, um Again, about when I started writing this book, it, it it kind of came to a head where I there's a there's a story in the book where I went on a, a, a suicide call um, at my department, and what happened was being there, uh, there was a father there who his son had hung himself, and in our interaction and how the father treated his family while I was there on the call, their reactions to him, how that kind of all came together, I looked at that father and I saw myself. I saw the way he treated his, his, how his wife was separate from him, how his wife and his daughter didn't want anything to do with him. You could just see, and I'm sure Tom can, and I, Susan, I don't know if you're back, your background, were you a police officer at one time too? No, or? I was married to a federal agent in drug enforcement. Oh, okay. For 20 okay. years. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you probably, just talking to people then, as you do, as you do, yes. you can tell what, you can just tell by their expressions, by the way they interact with you. And again, I'm going to go back 
to my faith and just kind of God's opening my eyes. I looked at that dad and I, I saw myself and I thought, this is me if I don't fix something in, in 10 years with my kids. Now, not, not that my kid would kill himself, but this is me as a dad, whatever happens with my kids that I, that I might see in, in 10 years and I need to fix something quickly. So I don't know if I came to that conclusion myself, if God opened my eyes, if there was some combination of that and, and everything, but that, that was kind of the turning point for me. Sure, sure. Can you so, hear me? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. So you notice a big disconnect from your family, right? Oh, yeah. No doubt. And, and, and I don't, I, I guess, go ahead. How much of that do you think is because of the job? Um, I think a lot of it, looking back, was because of the job, because a lot of it, I, when I said I looked after my parents and looked back at things, I could look back at my training as a police officer, and I talked to some guys now about that. Um, you know, we're trained to, we're trained to always be right, always be in control. That was not able after a point. <laughs> I'm sorry, but home. telling and about so your male cops and with my wife and that they're always right. Yeah, yeah, I got a problem right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, and prideful. I would say it's a lot, it was a lot of pride on my part as well. Sure. Um, but just yeah, not being able to turn turn that mindset off when you came home. You know. In, in the street, you need to be in control when you're at home. That's not, that, that'll kill your relationships. Any, anything we learn in training on the street will kill our relationships outside of work, um, is what I've, <laughs> I tend to find at this point. I just, looking bad, I find that about myself, and that's that's the way I was headed, unfortunately. I, I, I had that mindset that I, I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't yep. turn the cop off in me. But let me ask you this, because in most academies around the country where I've taught, because I've been doing this 31 years, um, didn't you find also that they taught you and trained you in your basic class to keep personal and professional separate? Um, you know, I don't know that work, that is something that... Home at home. Work at work, home at... They may have said that a few times, but it becomes so ingrained in you that that's not something that I would say they trained or hit on enough well, you know what? I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing anyway. It's so. not. <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah. It's one of the most ar <laughs> archaic principles we still teach that we taught 100 years ago when I first started. And I believe that's causing a lot of the problems because I have couples on my couch all the time that I'll ask, what's the problem? And it's usually a wife who says, he won't talk to me. And I look at him, I go, why don't you talk to her? They told me not to. And they're still teaching this in academies. And I, I think that sets up the officer wants to protect his family. But just because you don't bring details home doesn't mean you are protecting them from your mood because your mood reflects what you've seen, what you've done that day, your frustrations, whatever it is, just like home comes to work. Not uncommon. And I think that's a principle we've got to get away from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't talk around the kids about anything i didn't tell her she would she would ask me now thinking about that you mentioned that how is your day how's it go you know you don't say anything about anything now that i'm an sro i can say the funny stuff and the happy stuff <laughs> and the positive stuff that's a little easier sure but before yeah i didn't and then, again we were on different shifts too all the time with shuffling, shuffling kids around that we didn't talk very much anyway right so it was it was not a good situation you know well but it also comes across as insulting to us as spouses that 
either you don't trust us or we hear a lot you wouldn't understand. Well, how are we supposed to understand if you're not educating us? And boy, let the shoe be on the other foot and y'all will lose your minds. We don't talk to you. We decide what you need to know. And you're going, oh, hell no, that ain't happening. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Yeah, that, that always <laughs> yeah. goes over really well. Uh, I know something's wrong. You won't tell me. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, no doubt. Yep. And then we <laughs> no figure doubt. you're talking to somebody. And then the wheels start spinning. And then we start going through phones. We didn't have cell phones when we were first married. But, um, you know, he worked undercover. There was every opportunity in my act attitude always was hey if you're going to have an affair make sure she's rich she can pay your bills and then she's going to pay my bills too yeah we're good um but there has to be training of spouses which is a big part of what tom and i do you have to educate them about the lifestyle they don't i didn't know if i was supposed to be marshall's biggest stressor his biggest stress reliever yeah fortunately i had a little more information through dea of what my life was going to be but I think too many go into it that don't have a clue. I agree. And it ain't like TV. Sorry. When's the last time you had a day like NYPD Blue or Blue Bloods? <laughs> and, you know, you all gather around the family table on Sunday for lunch because we never work Sundays ever. Oh, no. no. Actually, I don't. I'm an SRO. Well, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm off Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> yeah. But, but how many years did it take you to get there? Oh, it's, it's 16. So, yeah, 16 years of right. no doubt. Yeah. You know, I thought it was much. interesting in your book, uh, you refer to the things that you uh, saw and dealt with uh, that you had to bury the skeletons. And that's his analogy of. Did you tell him our trash can? Garbage I did. Can theory? We, we talked not too long ago on the phone. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was yeah. funny because he's like, uh, you can only, you know, he'd, he'd bury them in shallow graves because every once in a while a hand would kind of come up or the kneecap would come up. And I thought, <laughs> um, when I was reading that, I was like, man, this this is exactly your theory. You know, Susan's theory is the psychological uh, garbage can. Yeah, yours is a little more gruesome than mine is. <laughs> a little more nightmare kind of stuff going on. But I, I, I can understand that. Yeah. But my first thought is, why didn't you bury them deeper? <laughs> I tried. They kept, they kept coming up. They kept coming up. Well, you also said <laughs> at one point you were, you were running out of room to bury them. You know... There's this, there's this weird dichotomy, and I don't know if you guys have experienced or, or whatnot. Being an officer, Tom, you may have, but there's a, there's a part of you, 15 years in, 10 years in, you feel the negativity around cops, and you just know that being around cops all the time is just taking you down a hill that is not good. Just And it's nothing against them personally. It's just the negativity that's in the, in the talking and the briefings and the roll call hanging out, right. and you want to avoid that. But the other problem is once and I, I tried to have a separate group of friends as well outside of the police department <laughs> once you go to that group of friends that group of friends has zero idea about your humor what you're talking about oh, how yeah. you relate to things and so you're stuck kind of in the middle of <laughs> i can't i can't hang out with them because they're killing me sure and i can't hang out with them because they don't get me yep. right. and they look at me I, I make a joke and their eyes go oh my goodness did he just say that yeah. hey, this is bible study <laughs> how can he say that in bible study that's not funny so i you know get a sense of humor people um, exactly or all they want you to do the non-law enforcement friends they just want you to tell them police stories yeah yes so you might yes. as well be hanging with your cop friends and the right. fish grows from here to here, and it gets crazy. Right. But if you hang with your cop friends and you tell police stories, 
then you come out of there feeling 10 times worse than you already did going in there <laughs> and you just want to go home and have a drink and then that doesn't go well no. and, <laughs> and cynicism is very contagious yes and, oh yeah and your families will pick it up i i tell a story in training of our son who's 32 now but when he was a little fellow, probably three years old, four years old, we were at a gas station, and this was when you still had pay phones. You're old enough to know what a pay phone is, aren't you? I do know what a pay phone <laughs> is, yes. I can't Make say I've sure. used many of them. <laughs> and we were in the car and getting gas, and all of a sudden my son looks at me and he goes, Mom, guess what? And I go, what? And he goes, and I'm thinking, I wonder what pearls of wisdom are coming out of my child. <laughs> and he points to a guy on a pay phone, and he goes, dope dealer. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, now, William Marshall, we don't know that. He did have pagers and stuff all over him and stuff. And I said, no, we don't know that. He goes, yep, that's a dope dealer. And uh, I'm going, ah, you know, what good does it do my three-year-old to think that? So we go home and I'm telling the husband, the DEA agent, and he goes, his first reaction, well, was he? Well, forgive me for not rolling up on him and going, roll the window down. My three-year-old and my DEA agent husband's going to want to know. But the reality is, is it could have been an undercover officer. Could have been another agent. But what good did it do for my child to think all these people on pay phones yeah. with pagers and stuff are dope doors when they could be cops? But it's yeah. very contagious. We yeah. all pick it up. And you get around no like some of the old salts at work mm -hmm. that they're crusty and they're real cynical and they can bring a new guy down so oh. quick. It's it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and well, one I've thing about your sick humor, we have found studies that that sick humor is a very good coping tool that it actually shows that when you use it, your body sends a message to your brain, this has no power over me. So the garbage can theory that I wrote, it's it's a lot of stuff about children because you never use sick humor with children. And now body cam keeps young officers from using sick humor at all because they're getting oh, in trouble. Oh, scared it's going to come back. Oh, the, yeah, oh, yeah. they're reviewing yeah, body yeah. cams and writing people up for stuff where there's no complaint. So it's making it all a lot harder on the young ones, to be honest with you. No doubt, and I, I mean, just an example from my own kids that I, I bring it, I bring it home is, and I, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I know a lot of people are going to hate me for that. But <laughs> it is what it is. But we live in Ohio now, so my son wanted nothing more to go to a, a Pittsburgh Steelers game. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I think of when anybody, and he just bugged me, can we go to the, can we go to a game? Can we go to a game? I just think, you know, crowds big crowds lots of people this is not going to go well i don't know what's going on what's going to happen like it, you can't shut it off and i right. feel bad that it carries over to my kids sure. and I, it affects them because they they don't care they just want to go to a game they right. want to go to a concert even my wife wants to go to a concert i would rather stay home and sit on let's watch that from the tv it's safe it's good nothing bad's going to happen it's just <laughs> but <laughs> the were cynicism you, it just were you that way over. before you were a cop no i hated okay. cops but I mean, and you didn't mind crowds. You were good in crowds before. Oh, you yeah. I was young then. And that was, you know, 19, 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sorry. I did. That squeaked out. I did not like cops. I got my life. I got my license suspended in high school. I smoked some weed in high school. It did no. not go well. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that, that was definitely not my path coming out of high school. There's no doubt. Interesting. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of cops that are like that. Though. Is that in the book? Um. I, I, you know, I don't remember. Are you going to let it your children read your book? <laughs> so interestingly, uh, so the book, 
the book again i guess i didn't say this but the book is an apology i wrote it i wrote it as an apology to my wife nice. and my kids nice um because i i was too much of a coward to look at my wife and tell her what i was going through what i felt what i was dealing with so i wrote her a book and uh <laughs> i gave it to her okay. i was like here take it read it i can't whatever and i walked away um <laughs> And she, <laughs> she had the, devo- she the, read it. the lawyer on, on speed dial just in case. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. She, she read it though and had a, 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 a I mean, she broke down, obviously, sure. not realizing that what all had happened. And, but there are some stories in the book of, of things I did to my kids, some situations that we were in that I'm going to give them each a copy at 18 and say, look, I'm sorry. This is who I was when you guys were kids. I've tried to make that up these past, you know, however many years I get until they leave. And some hard conversations might have to come from that. Sure. Um, but I think it'll be worth it. Absolutely. And I'm happy that my wife made me put that all together. And, and I was mad at her at first. I was like, I can't put a book out of you crazy. This is <laughs> no way. This is for you. But you know what? I, I hope it, it's it's going to do well for, for them because I won't be able to tell them face to face either. So how old are they now? They'll have to talk to me. How old are uh, they? I got 10, uh, 10, 14, and almost 16. Well, keep this in mind, because I think this is important for parents to do. One of the things I raised my two on was, if you're going to do something, claim it. If you're not going to claim it, don't do it. But you have to set the example. You did it, so claim it. You know, there was no intent. It wasn't like you woke up every morning going, well, let me see what I can do to be a real asshole to my children (laughs) or my wife or whatever. And if you did, you probably need to come to Phoenix, and we probably ought to have some sessions. (laughs) And bring your wife with you. The perfect way to put it, too. I was I was just an asshole to everybody. So uh-huh. that's, and uh, yeah, my my wife has a few times called me an emotionless prick. Uh, not recently. <laughs> not recently. Okay, that, that was years a, a few years ago. So we have improved. <laughs> Life is yes. It, things are better. We have we have improved. We've gotten much better. So, so when did you write the book? Um, compared to your breaking point. Um. Oh, let's see. So the breaking point, let's see, I'm, was probably six to seven years ago. The book took me uh, maybe a year in the same spot. And then, I mean, it took me a few years, oddly enough, just to kind of figure out the whole faith aspect of it to be able to integrate that as well. Because, I, And I don't know, do you guys, I know, I know, Tom, I've heard you talk a little bit about faith. Susan, do you have a faith background Absolutely. at all? Absolutely. Yes. Oh, God is all, I'm his entertainment. What are you talking about? <laughs> Seriously, he put me on this earth just to keep him entertained. Very nice. He's got a sense of humor. There's no doubt. It's a good thing, too. <laughs> yes, yes, no doubt. And I, I, I guess I didn't get so much, I, I attribute a lot to his opening my eyes, his leading me. And I, I, I feel kind of weird saying that, um, but you guys with a faith background, I'm sure understand that to a point. Sure. Um, before, before I was a churchgoer and I just kind of did, did the motions and thought, yeah, I do this because my parents did it and it will help me and whatever. And now I'm connected to God and he leads me, he talks to me. And as weird as that sounds, as crazy as that may sound for some people, like that is the only reason that I'm able to write the book, that I was able to say what I needed to say and get that out. Yep. Um, again, Susan, I didn't, I didn't talk to anybody. I still have not, you know, sat down with a counselor or anything. I, I, I walk the sidewalk at night talking to the great counselor all the time. Yep. So I get it all up and out and it seems to be working out fine now. So. I don't know. I might take that as a challenge. <laughs> oh, so you hadn't done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, 
I can't fly out to Arizona to do that just yet. I'm a little busy with sports and stuff. But if you're ever in the Ohio area, by all means, let me know. No doubt. We have this recorded when I show up on his door. <laughs> I'm here. Susan, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. And, and again, even after, if you talk to me, you would not be talking to a counselor. We call ourselves educators. We're stress gotcha. coaches. We educate officers uh, and firefighters and military and their families about the lifestyle and the things that they yeah. weren't taught in an academy class. You know, I think we walk y'all right up to this line <laughs> of how to, when to, where to, why to, and then don't worry about what happens after you actually do what we teach you to do. Right. You'll figure that out. No. Nah. Yeah, you figure it out. It yeah. comes. Yes. So well, I'm curious, you, so you mentioned that your husband was past government. Yes. As well, right? And yes. then so that you're, you're divorced from him. Did they, Do you think his job had a huge impact on that as well? Kind of the same scenario or and, not so much? And, and we're good friends. I actually did marriage counseling for him and the second wife. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, digest that one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> He's on his third now. But anyway, that's another issue. Um, it did in that his demons created an alcohol issue for the first nine years of our marriage that was... He did overcome and overcame it professionally very well, Um, but it impacted those first nine years are pretty important, Mm -hmm. foundational based years. And he he and I've talked about it and we didn't have the benefit of a lot of the stuff now, but we also both agree that we had to go through everything we went through for God to be able to use me the way he uses me now. Yes, very much so. That's the benefit that comes from it. And so absolutely, the lifestyle definitely impacted a lot of it, and we had to figure it out. But like I said, we're very good friends. I could vacation with him and his wife and whoever, and our kids go, this is still weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all don't worry about it. <laughs> but it, it was something that we had to, to go through. And, and he's available, you know, when I've had people that have had alcohol issues, for them to call him and talk to him. And he's very strong in his faith also. Well, and I ask that because I'm curious, having having the benefit of having you in front of me now and having all this expertise, you know, when I see uh, guys from my current department, guys from the past department, and I see the struggles kind of that they're having, is there a way that you have found um, to say, hey, dude, maybe it's not your wife. Maybe it's your job and what you're doing. Is there a way that you have found to get through to them when they by no means will ever uh, take any kind of responsibility for it and think they just need to move on to the next thing and that will make them happy and fulfilled and fix everything? Oh, yeah. Uh, There's a training that that we do, and then we, we talk about relationships in there. We talk about sex. We talk about why they're not having sex with their spouses. Um. It usually drives a real interest in having the class. Maybe you can get us out to Ohio. Uh, but it, there's, but the spouse has to be in there, too, because the spouses have some responsibility here also. Yeah. This is not a one-sided thing, typically. Uh, you know, most officers that have affairs, sure, there's some dogs out there who just don't need to ever get married because um, they're going to have sex with anything that <laughs> comes up <laughs> to them. But most of the affairs that come about are really trauma-based, that they don't want families sucked into all of their garbage, 
but there's somebody else, and it's usually somebody within the department, whether it's dispatch, another officer, another officer, another agency, because they get it, but it's not the solution. It's right. easy. It's just easy. Is there, a, is there a way you found to get to hammer that home to a way that actually makes somebody who might not have reach out? You know what I mean? Like, is there anything you've... <laughs> strategies or tips or it's just they got to be ready is yeah, I what i found them. or what i think is they just got to be ready but i you and, know and they do but sometimes i challenge them i tell them they don't have the anatomy to come in and talk to me <laughs> and, and they'll bow up and go what are you talking about well then sit down let's talk you know unless you're afraid now if you're afraid i understand why you might be afraid <laughs> you know i think uh i think one thing that as an officer as you start fighting your demons um, you kind of are pushing them away and you're not being honest with yourself about what's really going on. But then you get like when we do our trainings and we're talking about what's going on and what to see and, and how to deal with it. Um, and like if I tell my story or Mark or somebody else that comes in and, and tells their story, then all of a sudden it hits home that, mm -hmm. oh, man, this probably I'm doing the same thing. And he's telling me or she's telling me this is directly related from my job. Yeah. And it's okay right. to be this way. You know, it's, it's not that I'm the only one. Right. And so once they realize that this is happening to other people, it's, and it's normal. Okay, it's just not healthy. Right. Yeah. Then they're much more open to go, okay, now I need to look at myself and see what's going on and how do I fix it? But, but like gotcha. you said, they got to be willing. And sometimes Willingness is just knowing that somebody else is having that same issue. But we've also right. found, and that's why Under the Shield is set up the way it is. Like I said, I've been doing this 31 years. Um, it's set up the way it is because there's safety and anonymity. There's no fear. We're not mandated reporters on purpose. We don't keep notes. We don't keep records. You can be Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. You can give me. You can be your chief. You can be your. You can be whoever, because we don't have to care about what your name is we just have to care that you need help and there's a safe place for you to reach out so when there's safety in it some but somebody better be there to answer right uh, we have an 855 number that you'll hear us talk about at the end of this too that when they call that 855 number and they hit extension one we don't even have the person's phone number that's calling us we have the, the 855 number they called and they will get a stress coach if I'm busy, it rolls to Tom or to David Cohen in Alabama. They're going to get a stress coach. It's not going to go to voicemail. It's not going anywhere. It may have to ring a few times. And yeah, they, how many coaches do you have? Well, we have them all over the country and two in Canada. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and we will be adding more to the crisis line as I get a little bit separated from some of that because I'm not as available as I have been, um, which is killing me, but I'm still trying. <laughs> Um, He's fighting. I still work seven days a week, but yeah, um, it, it's it's about being there, caring, and there's complete safety in it, and no judgment passed whatsoever. And when I tell my story of Marshall is my high school sweetheart, we met, started dating in the ninth grade, went all the way through college together. He was always going to be a cop, something in law enforcement. He was a deputy till DEA picked him up. In 84, you probably weren't even born then, but that's okay. That doesn't make me feel too 81, bad. 81. Oh, yeah, you were three years old. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I probably could have given birth to you, but anyway. Uh. <laughs> um, but we had our children almost executed at a mall in Montgomery, Alabama with their dad when they were four oh and seven. 
and contracts were put out on him for a year we didn't even know existed. And it was all based off of a case of his. And so, you know, they, they, cause I'm not, I've not been a cop and y'all don't ever want me to be a cop <laughs> because I'm just going to shoot people and move to the next call. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And the older I get, the more I get that way. Um, but it's, it's more about, they do feel like they can relate to me somehow because I don't sit in judgment of what they're doing. And the suicides are an issue, but all this stuff that we find, most of it is physiologically based. Vitamin deficiencies, mineral deficiencies, and sleep deprivation, which feed the paranoia that I got to keep this stuff to myself and can't tell anybody. And then when I have officers like Tom and Mark Valenzuela from Phoenix who get up and talk about the aftermath of shootings and events and stuff they've been in, and there are people who are combat Marines, people go, Man, I experienced what he did. So it is it is normal. I just need to know what to do about it. And that's the sad part about the licensed mental health world. They come at it from that DSM. They come at it from a place of mental illness. You're all crazy, but you're not mentally ill. We've MMPI'd you to death. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you just solved the problem for me, actually. You, you may have answered a question that I didn't know I had an answer to. See, I didn't even so... know you had the question, did you? Well, well, Tom had asked me, you know, what year did this all kind of culminate in? How did you, and it, and so an officer, a friend of mine, who's a very good friend and shall still remain nameless, uh, <laughs> talked to me probably be seven years ago now, talked me into coming to third shift. Mm-hmm. And I was not a third shifter. I hated third shift. Did not. I did it on training and I didn't ever want to do it again. I was first and second, <laughs> all the time second from there. He said, oh, come, it's so fun. We do OVIs and you enjoy it. You can chase cars and chase. I said, I said, no. And somehow, somehow he talked me into it, seniority-based, of course. I could get better days off, and so I'll try it for this one year. And now that I think about it and I think back, that was the year it all went to shit, to be honest. <laughs> that, it was horrible. I mean, it I'm is. at home trying to sleep. Oh, kids, yeah. Walking around, and I'm mad at them. I'm mad at her. She won't be quiet. I'm trying to sleep. Like, oh, my goodness. And the world goes so, on yeah. during the daytime right, hours. Right, right. Absolutely. So when you, when you talk about the physiology and the sleep deprivation and all that kind of stuff, that may have had a lot to do with it as well, now that I think back. Most of the suicides, people who are suicidal that we see, because they can come to us. We don't have to report anybody anywhere. We deal with it. And most of them, I'd say 99%, it all comes from sleep deprivation. And if I can get them to give me 48 hours, we can turn it around very quickly. Really? Yes. Wow. That's, <laughs> I, have not, I have not heard that before. I have not seen that written anywhere before. Uh, is that well known or is that just something kind of that you go kind of it, go off with your research? It's something that we have done for 31 years. Wow. And it's that needs to be more well known then. Well, believe me, the frustration of not being able to get into agencies to teach because we're the only ones teaching this stuff. Border Patrol out of San Diego and Yuma has realized we have true suicide prevention, not awareness. If, if y'all ain't aware by now, I can't <laughs> teach you enough about it. Right. It's about true prevention, not intervention we need to get it ahead of the ahead of it and we can get ahead of it and border patrol has realized this in those sectors and that's why they bring us in repeatedly because they have a real problem and the pressure and the publicity and everything i don't don't know why we have anybody who work for border patrol thank god we do but i'm telling you in 48 hours i've seen it turn around if they'll do what we recommend. If they want to be a victim, I can't help victims. And there's some people who just want to be a victim to things. Not many in this industry, but some. 
but Ooh, I don't, I don't, I, I, and there was a few years there where I enjoyed being a victim. I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed being able to look back and say, it's this, 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 it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. So, but I deep down, I, I enjoyed you, it for a little bit. Yeah. But did you really believe that is the question or were you trying to convince yourself? Oh, probably convincing myself. So uh -huh. I didn't have to, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So I didn't have to work. I didn't have to work on my own self and I could blame somebody else. Right. Right. And the true victims are people who never, ever look at themselves. They, they, you tell them, try this. I've done all of that. I've done everything that you're recommending. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. They want to stay in that place. I can't help you. Go pay some counselor $200 an hour. They'll take your money all day long. I got to move to the next person who really wants the help. Right. And it doesn't take much when, you know, it's funny. We were laughing about this at training the other day at Phoenix Police Academy. Mark Valenzuela, this Phoenix officer who's retired that was shot and shot and killed a guy. Um his first time in one of my trainings, he was sitting in the back of the room Googling everything I said <laughs> to try to prove me wrong. <laughs> that was his goal in life. <laughs> uh, and everything I said, he was verifying, which then made him go, okay, there's some credibility here. And then he tried it. And like I said, we can turn things around. I, I use the example with cops all the time. If you buy a brand new car and put it in your garage, but you don't put gas oil and water in it, it ain't going anywhere. You can put gas in it. I don't know how far to go without oil and water, but probably not far. But the reality of the matter is still a brand new car. Well, our bodies are that way too. And the things we have found in research that even organic food is 35% less healthy than it was in the same place, growing in the same place 10 years ago. Well, the only oh, way you can do Susan, this is Susan, something. I'm a health nut. Don't tell me this stuff. <laughs> hey, I'm fixing to ruin it for you, buddy. Yeah, now I got to go do some research. This isn't good. So you have to you have to supplement, but all vitamins and minerals are not created equal. Right. So we've done that research, and so we recommend specific ones for specific reasons and ways to take it, and we back it up with the experts that are out there um, that we've been very blessed to come across, and I got 31 years of it working. You know, and I got to say, you mentioned Mark, and I don't know anything about him, but you mentioned he had been in the shooting. Um, and I would just add that I, in my 21 years, I have not, you know, I listened to back again, some of the podcasts, some of the guys, some of the things they've been through done on the street. I've done a lot of stuff, but I have not had that shooting, that traumatic event that um, you would look back on and say, yes, that's the cause of this, this, and this. I, I, I don't want to say I don't know how to, I'm not a run of the mill officer where it just there hasn't been that one call for me. <laughs> but and I feel kind of odd to say that. But, uh, you know, it, it, and I still had issues. So it, it just seemed odd to me. But let me let me let we need to change your perspective, though. Yeah. It's not just one call. That's the problem. No. One call may cause. And a it's problem. not the shooting. Right. Usually that's the problem. But look at how, how much. Right. The, it's cumulative. Look at all yeah. the stuff you've seen and dealt right. with right. over the years. That no one should have right. to. Right. But you even mentioned that in your book. The police are the last one to get called to fix the problem for everybody else, you yeah. know. We're right. dealing with the shit that nobody wants to deal with. And Mark's problem wasn't the shooting, but that's all mental health wanted to deal with. Mark's problem, oh. when he came to me a year and a half later, was the fact that he couldn't save an innocent woman from being executed. And nobody had ever said that to him. And so when I said that to him, he immediately 
teared up. And he's like, you're the only person who's ever said that. And I said, Mark, he's a combat Marine. I said, didn't Phoenix teach you how to, when to, where to, why to? And he goes, yeah. I said, did you come out of an academy thinking you'd never have to shoot anybody? He goes, no, it wasn't something that I wanted, but they prepared me for it. They didn't prepare him for the victims that he couldn't save. And this woman was probably dead before he got the call. But as problem solvers, because that's your whole job description, in his brain, he was going, man, if I'd been here rather than over here, I could have gotten there faster and maybe I could have prevented this. And y'all take ownership and responsibility for the bad things that happen to good people. Yeah, no doubt. We, The department that I work for currently, we've had um, some officers die in the line of duty mm-hmm. uh, fairly, I mean, within the past seven or eight years. And the officers that were there that day um, that, you know, were not able to be there for that call and were not able to help out have some of those same thoughts that go through their sure. head as well. Sure. It wasn't what they weren't on the scene when it happened, but just not being able to be there was part of that. Could um, I have made a difference? Right. Right. And yeah. we've seen that the co-host on the podcast before Tom, Chris Farrar, this is the Chris Farrar podcast studio was one of my best friends and he was killed in the line of duty April two years ago. Oh. And we still see a lot of that from the officers that were on scene because mm-hmm. there were things that were done right or wrong. It was done with good intentions, but there's a lot of guilt and people feeling responsible for Chris's death. And the reality of the matter is Chris would be the first one as a Christian also to say it was just his time. And when we look at the timeline of Chris's life, <laughs> it, it was being it was literally being lined up for him to go home. Wow. Yeah, no That's question about That's powerful testimony. Well, and it's, yeah, I think it's probably what makes this easy. Plus, Chris was a dork. He was our dork, <laughs> and we loved him. And he still pranks me, I'm convinced, all the time. He turns lights on at my house, and I'm like, would you go away and leave me alone? Um, but it, it was his frame of mind, and I know where he is. I know right where he is. No questions asked. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, I mean, again, going back to the book a little bit on faith, a lot of the officers, I wonder if they're not a lot like me, where they're not real sure what they believe going through their career. Mm-hmm. And as these calls start to build up, they wonder the same thing. You know, I don't know that I believe there's a God. And if I don't believe there's a God, am I safe on the street? Is there a reason that I'm doing this? What could happen to me? Where am I going? And all those kind of questions just begin to bubble in the middle of life. Sure. Well, and, you know, there's one sergeant at Phoenix that I teach with who claims to be an atheist. <laughs> I did his I officiated his wedding. It was actually a whole lot of fun. Um, and for some reason, these fools out here want me marrying them. I've done like nine of them for Phoenix alone. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, it's a compliment, I'm sure. It is, because they say yes. it's the most fun weddings they've ever been to. And I'm like, were y'all oh, listening? Nice. Were you? Did you hear me? Um, but he he laughs and talks about he believes in Valhalla. And and as I tell everybody else, that's just heaven to the rest of us. He just puts a different, I think he's a closet Christian. Uh, I just don't want to tell people. Gotcha. Because he had a friend killed in the line of duty at Phoenix in 2016, four days after Mark Valenzuela's shooting. And um, yeah, a lot was going on in 2016 and 18. But Sounds like it. You know, and there are books out there that I recommend to people. One is called Cold Case Christianity. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Oh, Detective Wallace? Yeah, yeah, yes. I've talked to him a few times. Yes, and, you know, I tell him, I said, hey, he set out to prove there was no Christ, and he wound up becoming a Christian, so maybe that's something you might want to read. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then the other one is uh, Lee Strobel's book, A Case for a Christ. A Case for Christ, yeah. And his movies, 
you know, he, he sets it out and does the research. It, it's kind of hard to argue when he's even talking to atheists who give him information that support that Christ <laughs> did live and Christ did die on the cross and Christ did rise again. <laughs> kinda, oh, yeah. Kind of hard to argue with those things. No doubt. You wonder when, you know, the job does end. So, you know, Tom's retired. He knows the job does end. At some point, you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. Yes. And I just, I wonder if that that is when hopefully a lot of the guys will take the time and, and kind of research that more. I don't know, but it seems like people that don't take the time after the, the career ends kind of go crazy. And they don't know what to do with themselves. Right. And well, they have no <laughs> They life. don't have a higher purpose. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So did you really have a crisis of faith? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And is that the breaking a, point is when Tom refers to your breaking point? Well, I had a little bit of to do third, with third shift now that I know. I understand from what you said earlier. So that was See? Thank you for that. Absolutely. I'm always right. <laughs> Learn that lesson. I'm always yes, right. No doubt. Sleep deprivation. No yes. doubt. But yeah, it was also a crisis of faith where, um, you know, again, how could God let all this stuff happen to the people that I'm dealing with? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, my, my, Christianity was just what my parents had put into me, what I kind of replicated throughout the years. I was never connected in prayer. I never felt a presence. I never, God never spoke to me. It was just something I did. I went to church. I faked everybody out. I said, I'm good. Great. Never better. Did my thing, moved on with my life. And when that came to a head, it is a crisis when you think, well, now I could get shot and killed. And I don't even believe that I'm here for a reason or God's there. Or now what happens to my kids? My, you know, Sure. It was a crisis. There, there's no doubt that was all going through my head at the same time. Yeah. And how did you work through that? Or have you worked through that? Um, yes. Yeah, so that uh, work through it mm-hmm. is, I guess I would say pray through it is, is kind of how that went is. And again, it goes back to the story in the book where there's a night after the, the suicide of the son that I kind of dealt with the father and realized this is not this is who I'm going to be. I think I opened my eyes and, and I saw who I was going to be if I kept down the same path. Um, you know, one night I walked upstairs and it was, uh, my wife and I were not, not fighting at, but we weren't talking. We hadn't talked in a while. And I just I walked past her like I normally do silent. And it was, I was in the bathroom getting ready for a shower. And it was like, uh, it all kind of came to a head for whatever reason in my head. I don't know why I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been drinking a little bit that night, but I certainly had not had a lot. Um, and it, all I heard was, are you ready? I heard it in my head. I heard it in my heart. Are you ready? And I was like, what the, and I stopped in, in my tracks. I stopped immediately in the bathroom. I was like, what was that? That is not, and I just kept hearing it. Are you ready? Are you ready? And I'm like, what, what is this? I don't know what this is. And I, then I just knew, I knew it was God. And he said, are you ready to give up? Are you ready to give up this crap? Give it to me and move on and, and give me your life and, and actually connect with me. And it, I, I fell down on my knees that night in the closet. I was, I was a, blubbering whatever you want to call it <laughs> sissy boy I'm, I, it was it was horrible i was i i am uh, scared to say it now i'm not really i don't care anymore but before to tell anybody that was crazy mm-hmm. um but i i give it up i give it all i give up i give up i got i got nothing else if i don't fix something this is not going to go well and from that day on and I, it, it was just a total change of life and i can't explain it any other way than to say that i you know god christ the spirit came into my heart and changed my outlook completely um, there's just no other way to explain it, to be honest. Did you have someone in law enforcement though, that was really strong in their faith that you could talk to about that? Um, no, 
I don't think I did actually. Really? Um, there was a lot, and it's funny because there was a lot of people in law enforcement that I talked to about my faith prior to that, mm -hmm. thinking that I had it all together, thinking I knew what I was talking about, trying to show them, you know, the right way, and this is the way. And in the end, it was like I, I didn't even know what I was talking about because that's. Just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, well, it's hard to be. Yeah. It's hard to take control of your life and be in control of your life when you're really not in control of anything. Sure. You know, you think you right. are, yeah. but. Yeah, God and I argue that all the time. I keep telling him, just give me 24 hours. Let me run things, 24 hours. Now, when I screw it up, I'll give it back to you. But Chris used to laugh, and he goes, Susan, I just envisioned you. You walk around your house talking to him all day, and I said, that's pretty accurate. I'm I'm yeah. not one of these that think you have to necessarily get into a quiet room and all of that kind of stuff. I, I'm thanking him for parking places. I'm thanking him my dog hasn't destroyed anything major that I can't replace yet. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it's just regular conversations yeah. like I would have probably with anybody most of the time. And, yeah. you know, and even with this cancer whole thing, you know, people, my oncologist is like, Susan, cancer doesn't bother you and chemo doesn't bother you. But the inefficiency of the system fitting into your schedule on your calendar <laughs> is about to put you in your grave. And I'm like, you're right. I know where I'm going. It's a win-win. You know, in this yeah. world, as woke as it is, I'm a little offended he hadn't brought me home yet. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think sometimes people think it has to be this level of reverence that is not really obtain, obtainable for most of us with the these and thous and those and and it, it's just talking to him. It, it, right. You know. If, if I had, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an admission here. I don't think my neighbors are going to listen to this, so that's okay. <laughs> but my wife is going to know about this. I, I take walks after dinner usually at night. Um, and I've learned now to put my earbuds in. Mm -hmm. And as long as I put my earbuds in, as I'm talking to God, people think I'm on the phone. Because sure. they think I'm talking on my earbuds. Right. Otherwise, I look like a freak walking down the sidewalk, just looking at it. My son makes fun of me, and his coach saw me one day when they were driving past. They're like, Dad, you walk slow and you stare at the sky as you walk along, and just like you're mounting something. And I'm like, Yeah, that's what, those are my prayer walks. Sure. Those are my prayer walks is what I do. So, sure. <laughs> just like you, I walk around and I talk to him all day, and I feel like he talks to me, and uh, my life is totally changed and there's nothing else that I can really point to but that so well and I laugh and tell people all the time I'm not this smart so when they hear something come out of my mouth in session or in trainings that makes sense I don't deserve the credit God does because there have been times that my mouth has said things and my brain is going where are you going with this Susan? <laughs> and a really good analogy will come out and I'll go dang that was good um, and, come and, and, and it wasn't Susan I can tell you that much it happened with Border Patrol one time <laughs> And, and, you know, and I just laugh and I go, Hey, if now I have to apologize because I always laugh and say, there's a hole up here and God shoves ideas in my head and they come out my mouth because I have no filter, but Satan periodically gets in there too. <laughs> and I do have to apologize for those things. Ah, very true. <laughs> but, yes. you know, it's also about showing people that as Christians, we're human. We know we're not perfect. Yeah. The only perfect person hung on a cross. Not not in my bucket list of things to ever do. And but I think sometimes the people who struggle with their faith think they there's an expectation to be something that none of us can accomplish. Mm -hmm. So they always think well, they're falling not, short. It's not true in church, though. That's where we fake it the most. <laughs> the people who go to church. So. Well, yeah. and that's why that's I, what I did, at least. That's, yeah, that's where no, you perfect is in yeah. church. Right. But that's why I love my non-denominational church, because you know, they're constantly saying none of us earns our way there. 
we get there by what cross by what Christ did for us. And I, I just think it's hard. A lot of the organized religion things I think have turned the younger generations off. When in reality, it's a lot simpler than really what they make it out to be. And all this judgment of we're the only ones going to heaven and everybody else going, whatever. Um, and it's not my job to judge. I tell clients all the time, this is a judgment-free zone. I got my own stuff I'm going to have to answer for. I got no right to be judging anything anybody else has done. And if the stuff you've done are things you want help with, if I can't help you, Tom can, I'll find somebody who can and we just give them a different way of looking at it where we're not, oh, my God, you, you had your gun in your mouth you last night. What? Oh, my God. You know, uh, we got to take your badge and your gun from you. Well, I better go get a U-Haul and load it up at his house because <laughs> probably doesn't have just one. And But it's more about, hey, you know, most people that come in and tell me they've been suicidal, I go, hey, join the club. Most of us have had those thoughts. It's all right. Yeah. It's what are we going to do now and what brought it on? How can we help? My sessions run a minimum of four hours most days. Wow. I've had them run 18 hours because my attitude is I may not get you in there but once. And again, do, you find, do, you bring, do you bring faith into those sessions at all or do you kind I of do. just wait and see how that goes with, yeah? You know, I, I ask if they're believers. If they're not, I go, okay, that's something I'm going to pray about. Um, but, it, you know, it's not a, well, this is my job to make sure I lead you to Christ. There are other oh, ways no. to do right. it without being exactly. an in yeah. your face. I do have a red man stick in my office that I've threatened <laughs> officers with on occasionally. Um, sometimes it's well-deserved. <laughs> but, like, I've had officers pull guns on me in my office before. And I go, wow, cool. You know, one of them, I looked at him and wow. I said, I started laughing. He goes, what are you laughing at? I said, I've seen you on a range. You couldn't hit the side of a barn. And he started laughing, but it was his level of, I need somebody to help me. And I'm like, you ain't got to point the 45 at me. I got it. But it's almost a test. And I go, whatever. I don't report them. Well, you know, what's interesting is, I, and I a quick shout out here for a group in Ohio. It's called, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the First Responders Bridge I have in not. Ohio. Mm -mm. No. So they, um, they put on a three-day seminar here in central Ohio in the Columbus area. Uh, it's the hotels are paid for, food paid for, there's speakers. Um, it's a health and wellness kind of forum that explains to officers kind of the same thing you do, kind of the training of sorts with peer speakers and breakout groups and that kind of thing um, that I'm a part of and I help out with as a chaplain. But I remember the first time they did it, they tried to make it um, kind of a non-faith kind of thing mm -hmm. where they wanted everybody to feel comfortable coming in. But as they continued to do it, it just seemed like this with the speakers, like that you just can't hold that in so it seems like that the faith base for me at least and everybody i've talked to is kind of where everybody ends up on their uphill swing and i again you have talked to more, more people i know than i ever will but it just seems like that always seems to be the base for change at least a little bit and then it kind of goes from there and what is the group called again it's called the first responders bridge bridge and i think okay. the, the website is firstrespondersbridge.org um and yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful organization started here by some retired officers in Columbus. Um, that it just it, it has helped many people that come in from all different states. Uh, you got to pay your own transportation, obviously coming in. But after you get here, the hotel is paid for, the days are paid for, all the food's paid for, and it's three days of. Uh, it, it, it makes a huge impact. Sure. Are, are they but, talking about physiological though impact of this job and vitamin and mineral deficiencies? 
Uh, I haven't sat through all the presentations. I've only been able to go to one day because of my schedule, but I know they do have a doctor come out and talk about a lot related to that. I don't know exactly what his speech, you know, what the details are of that, though. Okay. Because that's one of the things I think we're told the most on our evaluations is nobody else is teaching these things. Oh, gotcha. And they'll think it sounds really simple, but when you explain, again, like the car uh, example, it makes sense to them that their bodies, and, and especially third shift, what's open third shift? <laughs> you know, where are you getting those Castle, nutritious uh, meals yeah. from? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, out here it no, all no. ends in... What is it? The all the Mexican restaurants oh. end in the same pref. I mean, the, Ertos. Yeah, yeah, toes. one of those. Yes, it all ends in toes. Yes, and, uh, yeah, oh, nice. Not healthy, um, but it, it makes sense. And when you show them it's simple, and if they'll just give you forty-eight hours, and of course, then they come in and go, "I think it's psychosomatic," and I'll go, "Well, then stop taking it, stupid, and see what happens." And then they'll come back two days, I feel like crap again. I guess that's psychosomatic too. Whatever. It's that cynicism that goes on. Yeah. But yeah, it, I'd be curious to get the details of that too. So that you put that on a, in a week training or how, I know Tom, you spoke a little bit about that. You, you do two week trainings and that's part of it or. It's an eight hour. We do two eight hour oh, trainings that are big training. ones. One is with spouses oh, okay. or significant other, but I have to tell them don't bring both. Cause I've had them show up with the girlfriend <laughs> and the wife. <laughs> That took me a minute, but I got it. Yeah, yeah, not good, not good. And then we do one for supervisors that teach them what to look for in their people to head problems off. Catch gotcha. it at the episodic level before it hits chronic and you have to discipline or terminate. Nobody can afford to do that these days. So those are our two that Haida yeah. here will tell you are the most requested classes they have. Um, it's what Border Patrol wants. And, but you have to have the significant other or spouse with the officer. It's not just yeah. for, because then the spouse will go home and start lecturing. You need to be taking this and this and this. And they're going, who is this woman telling you this stuff? Um, right. And a lot of times the things I say, it's funny because I'll say something and the husband will nudge the wife. And a few minutes later, I'll say something else and the wife is elbowing the husband. <laughs> and they're going, huh. She's coming at it from both places now. <laughs> or, or the, or we have the ones that don't bring their spouse or significant other, and then halfway through the day, they're you know at lunch break, they're calling, "Hey, you need to take the rest of the day off of work, and you need to get here for this training." <laughs> yeah. Come on out here. Yeah. And they have to vet it first. They're right. not sure I'm gonna turn <laughs> this woman loose on my wife yet, and then they realize, "Oh, we're gonna talk about sex after lunch, and why I'm not having sex with her, and we'll get this problem resolved because it's got to be her problem, not mine." Sure. No doubt. That, yeah. We love playing the victim. We said that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but that ain't it. You men, I tell every couple that comes in, I tell the women, men are born stupid. This is biblically sound. When you look oh, in wow. when you when you look in Ephesians, where he gives the instruction for marriage, the woman gets three instructions, the man gets nine. <laughs> so you can really spell it out for us. Yeah. I rest my and I tell women, set your bar low. Our problem is we set the bar up here, going, he has potential. No. <laughs> He is what he is. Now, did, did you ever get remarried? No. Oh, heavens, no. No, no I'm smarter oh. than that. No. Oh, jeez. Oh, my. No. no, I work. I, I, and I don't work a day in my life. I really do. This is, this, is, this is a ministry God has given me. Very nice. And it's and every couple that leaves my office, I hit my knees and go, thank you, Lord, I'm single. And I have a German shepherd. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to be married 20 years to really have any credibility in this. 
Oh, it sounds it sounds like you have a lot of credibility. There's no doubt. It's scary sometimes how much credibility, <laughs> even to me. Um, but I don't go outside my lane. I stay with first responders, military. Our son's a Marine. Son-in-law was in the Army. I stay in my lane. Doctors, lawyers, accountants, garbage men, whoever else, y'all are on your own. Somebody else can deal with y'all because this is where my heart is. Gotcha. And then, the, Tom, do you do the same training as she does? Yes, I help. And stuff, yeah, we yeah, I help Susan oh. uh, do the training classes. And I, I went through her stress coach certification. Uh, so I see uh, different officers. And uh, my wife and I uh, work with a couple uh, couples um, that are having, you know, struggling in marriage. And so we, we do that together. Um, but it's all. And Joel sees our yeah. kids of cops because he was the yeah. son of a cop. Yeah. His father died uh, from COVID um, January of 21, oh right a few oh. months before Chris Ferrara was killed. They yeah. lost three at that department, two to COVID, and Chris was murdered. And um, so Joel is working on his master's in counseling, but is also one of our stress coaches. And all of our stress coaches have either done it, been married to it, raised by it, or given birth to it. We don't care about education because I learned there wasn't anything in a textbook that really talks about what we do. Yeah. Well, and just having the experience is what gives you the, the legitimacy, not necessarily the education. Right. You can't right. have the education and not have the experience. So, yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's hard to understand when the mental health world and our big push with them, we work with a particular psychologist out here that our Firefighters, police officers absolutely adore him, and he gets it. He wasn't a cop, but he started working 40-plus years ago with military. He gets it, and he has nothing but respect for the uh, population. And the reality of the matter is I just don't know how a licensed mental health person can relate to a cop if they've never even fired a firearm. How can you understand the enormity and re of the responsibility of wearing it, much less pulling it, and then deciding to pull the trigger? If you've never got, I, w I did full SWAT schools when I started this 31 years ago. Oh I was geared up running, gunning, shooting, climbing. Actually made some of the boys look a little bad, but I was <laughs> 31 years younger also. Um, but I've done narcotics training. I've done hostage negotiation training. I put myself in every type of training I could to get the exposure, not just be somebody that was married to it. And I've done many, 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 many ride-alongs. Learn a lot when you climb in with one of you at night and keep your <laughs> oh, mouth yeah. shut. There's nothing that makes y'all more uncomfortable, and you will start running your mouths. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially when we know you're anonymous, too. Yes. An anonymity there. <laughs> Absolutely. And 10 hours later, they'll tell me, see, Susan, I told you I don't need that crap you're offering. No, you don't need that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you just emptied your trash cans of me. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I'm going to have to get your book now. I'm going to have to learn to read again, I guess, <laughs> unless you're going to get that audio done for me pretty quickly. Yeah, I will send it to you. you. Email me your address. I'll send you. I'll be happy to send one to anybody that needs it. So by all means, let me know. I would love, I would love that. Um, but, you know, and I think there's a lot of opportunity, I think, that we can also tie this in. There's a lot of things we're wanting to do around the country because uh, we do travel and teach. Are you familiar with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman? Oh, who's not familiar with Lieutenant Colonel Dave? <laughs> well, yeah, Dave, of course. Yes. Yeah, no, we've been friends and teaching together for almost 30 years. 
And uh, we actually started together at a conference here in Phoenix. And um, he's in full support of what we do. He says our training is the rest of the story. And so he's a huge supporter here and just a really good friend. And, you know, we're trying to get more training with him. Um, I don't know if you've seen him since he's really gotten involved more with even going into churches and teaching about sheep and sheepdog and uh, that concept. But he's uh, he's kind of kind of redirecting and putting more of God into all of his stuff Mm -hmm. and has some other books, devotionals and things, really great books for couples, devotionals for couples in law enforcement. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I've been blessed to have him as a, as kind of a mentor at times. And again, just a good friend. And so there, there's a lot of trainings we would like to do around the country in conjunction with Dave. And one of the things we can offer, we can get Dave cheaper than you can get him by himself if it's done in conjunction with our training. Oh, gotcha. And that's one of the things he does for us to get our stuff out there also. Do you go pretty much everywhere around the country? Are there mm-hmm. certain states that you just go to Mm-mm. specifically or no? We'll, we'll go anywhere that will okay. give us the opportunity to come in. I've taught probably in most states. I've taught in Germany. I've taught in Canada with Grossman twice now. Um, yeah, there isn't anywhere that we won't go. Gotcha. I know we're, we're starting a peer support team at our department and the kind of the central Ohio area has a large peer support team as well. Columbus just made their own wellness center. So it's a very, it is a budding industry in this area. There's no doubt. So sure. I, I don't know if that'd be an opportunity for you to get into, but it's definitely something around here that we're hitting hard and hitting the ground running. Well, and the funny part is we've always offered a money back guarantee on the training, not on the travel expenses, but on the training that if a department tells us that their officers, we, we encourage them to do critiques and evaluations. And um, if the officers say they didn't learn something new, we'll give them the training feedback. And in 31 years, we've never been asked for it back, ever. That's a good track record. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty no good, doubt. too, because cops really do yeah. want money back if they get an opportunity. Oh, yeah. And, uh, we want free stuff initially. We don't just want money back. We want it free in the first place. Come on. If it's free, it can be basket weaving. <laughs> Y'all don't even care about yeah. that. But it, no we, we stand behind our stuff enough, and we've had enough evaluations of it, and we stay current on everything that um, we're pretty confident that that's not going to be the issue. People are going to learn gotcha. things that they've probably never heard before especially in the suicide prevention side. I, I'm curious, Tom, I just from what you said last time, it just dawned on me, you, you do the marriage counseling with your wife as well. Did you kind of have that point too, the kind of the same thing we talked about where there was a point in your career that you kind of dealt with the same stuff or not really? Oh, he wound up on my couch. As... <laughs> oh, did he? Oh, he oh, did. Gotcha. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, my wife and I went to Susan. Uh, our first session was almost five hours on our couch, yeah. So, oh, my. Yeah, okay. yeah. Been but, there. <laughs> but didn't think he would been there that long. Yeah, I had no idea when I when I left. I was I was like, man, we were there almost five hours, and you know, I told my wife, I said, it's crazy. It wasn't like normal therapy, you know. There was none of this. Oh, and how does that make you feel? That type of you know, nothing warm and fuzzy with Susan. No, it's direct to the point. <laughs> you know, don't ask because I'll tell you. Yes, you know, yes, you, do, but, you do not seem warm and fuzzy, Susan. And no. you know, it was funny because it was like we. And it was the first time that we had really met. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but it was like sitting down uh, and reminiscing with a with a friend that you haven't seen in a while. And I was really surprised how much crap came out. You know, we oh. we talked about so much stuff and in such a short amount of time. I was I was just amazed. 
Yeah, it was crazy. And the officers around what, here what? will tell you I play all kind of mind games with them. <laughs> oh. It's fun. It, it's crazy how right. she, she has ways of just getting you to open up and talk. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a yeah. God thing. Yeah, sounds like it. What now? What what made you though actually pull the trigger and sit down with her? Was there something that was said or well, done, or you know it, what I mean? What it was, was all because of our dork friend Chris Ferrar after he was killed. That was, I still had about oh, six oh, months gotcha. left before I retired, and and at that point I was just done burying friends and people I knew and going to cop funerals and you know because as a motor you go to all the cop funerals in the area, um, yeah. whether you know them or not, but. Uh, it was just, it was tough, you know, dealing with that. And then I knew that uh, Under the Shield meant, uh, a, you know, was a lot, uh, very impactful on Chris's life. And I knew that it meant a lot to him. I didn't realize to the full extent at the time, though. Uh, and my wife and I happened to be over at Chris's parents' house. And something was said. I broke down, started crying. I turned away from everybody, tried to regain my composure. And Chris's mom she's a little bitty thing she come walking around give me a big bear hug and that didn't help because then we're both standing crying <laughs> the next morning i we got texts from uh chris's mom linda and chris's sister angela and said that i have to make an appointment with susan and if i don't make it they oh will make it for me and take me there so <laughs> oh, he called so i called he came nice. yeah and see chris's story and you should listen to his podcast it's episode 11 when I first met Chris, he was a sergeant at Chandler, and he was suicidal. And he got oh. demoted. A lot of stuff happened. He was off work for a long time. The mental health world really did him wrong. Yeah. And um, when he died, he was the most decorated officer in the history of Chandler Police Department and the most respected and never went back to a supervisory role. They demoted him. He stayed in that patrol position where he could help other officers because he had the knowledge of a sergeant, but none of the responsibilities. And then he became one of our stress coaches and he was on the podcast with me and that his life experience of being suicidal was really what made him who he was. And it wasn't the negative that it had started out to be. He turned it and used it as a positive. Very nice. Yeah. And has that has that seemed to reach out and people have come to you because of that? Yes. Too? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And he yeah. he sent a lot of people to me that he didn't want to work with directly because of the conflict of working together. Um, but he helped more people than we'll probably ever know, to be honest with you. And I think it's that we can relate. You know, officers who are these and, and let me tell you something, the toughest of you are the ones that fall the easiest. <laughs> if I can get you on my couch, I got you. <laughs> it, it, you ain't leaving till I have you in tears at least once. And they'll yeah. come in and go, I'm not going to cry. And I'll go, we'll see. <laughs> Challenge me. Watch this. Or I'll never well, sit on your couch. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. You have a, in just in the hour we've been talking or whatever, I can tell you have a style that, again, the warm and fuzzy therapist is not going to get through to somebody like us. We need the yeah. straightforward style that you have, the very, up front, this is how it's yeah. going to be. Uh, you know, it, that just has to, that has to be how it's going to be. Yeah, they'll tell you they're afraid of me, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, whatever works. Okay, if that as, works as for long you, as you do what you say, right? Do as you're told, and we'll all get along just fine. <laughs> and I will get in somebody's face because, again, I know God has my back on this thing. This is what He wants me doing, and I know your hearts. 
honestly and truthfully. Now, a schizophrenic lawyer would scare me to death. Um, <laughs> but cops, y'all, y'all talk a good game and you act away. But I know that's a wall and a protector that I just yeah. it doesn't take much to break it down, truthfully. Yeah. And it's and that's what the training does. It educates officers about who Tom is, about who I am. If they just saw me on a piece of paper and my bio and all my degrees and my letters behind my name and all that crap, I'm just another nobody to them that can't possibly understand. But when we get up in front and talk about the fact that I don't care what a chief thinks. Actually, they're the best PR I've got going. The more they dog me, the more the officers want to come. So they oh, it's true. Keep that up. Keep it up, boys and girls. Uh, yeah, if a chief goes, oh, I like you. Oh, no, don't. Please don't. Let me insult you now. Um, and when, off, when I stand up there and say, I don't care if you're a chief. I don't care if you're a colonel over troopers, whatever. You're just a person who puts your pants on the same as everybody else. And no, you don't control me with a paycheck. I'll give you the money back. And that shows where your real loyalty is. Yeah. Plus the fact, you know, if I'd ever breached confidentiality in 31 years, you think I'd still be here? No, that's actually the first thing we're taught in our peer support training is once that confidentiality gets hurt once, you're done. Yeah. Move on because it ain't coming back. And y'all yeah. got the fastest moving grapevine. It'd be all over this country <laughs> in about 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And y'all will even make stuff up. And that hadn't happened either. So... It's pretty solid that most law enforcement understands, and fire does. You know, we let the hose draggers in every now and then, and you know they have their issues, and we we pat them on the back. And <laughs> well, that's who Tom has had on for the past couple of podcasts. He's a fireman. Surprise! Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of not here those days, but <laughs> no, no. I tell them, I, I tell them, I love anybody that'll run in buildings where roaches run out. I ain't going to do that job. Yeah, that would never even be on my priority. I do want to be a chief or a sheriff one day. Probably won't happen. If I was, it probably wouldn't last very long either, but um, I kind of have a different philosophy than the administrations these days. <laughs> it sounds like it, yes. We'd have fun, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us how we can tell people they can get your book. Uh, the book is on Amazon. Again, okay. it's called Confession of a Christian Fraud. Uh, if for some reason you can't afford it, heck, I'll send you one. So you email me. <laughs> email me. Uh, it's chad. Kempese, C-A-M-P-E-S-E, that's at Gmail. And yeah, if you if you feel like you need it and need to reach out to somebody, I'm completely open. That's what it's there for. That's why my wife told me to publish it. So sure. it wasn't supposed to be. It's out there. And if, if you think it can help you and whatever, <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Just shoot me an email. It's fine. And under the shield, we'll be happy to do the same thing for them. If they want to call us and say they want it, can't afford it, we'll order it and, yep. and make sure it gets to them. Because yeah. uh, it's too important. And I think the title of it says a whole lot. Because I think it's you in a self-assessment telling people as Christians, we've got to stop being the fraud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, being who you are and who you've talked to, confession is such a, a top priority in getting everything out and starting that healing process. Absolutely. It's just confession is... You you make people confess all the time to you about what's going on. So you, you see how it helps. And that that's my book. That's my confession. I didn't talk to anybody specifically, but I've talked to everybody with it. So that's what helped me, I guess. Well, and that's one of the things I've said about this cancer. I said secrets are bad. I don't know why people who have cancer don't talk about it. it my life's an open book because y'all kind of can find out things or make it up, you know, so y'all will background me to death. But the reality is 
a secret is a bad thing. So why wouldn't I talk about it, especially if I can help somebody else with it? And there have been opportunities in this that God has shown himself that I had to have this type of cancer particular in order to help someone else get the wife of an officer get to where she needed to be because they were putting her stuff off and it would have been very detrimental to her. And um, so, you know, I go, I don't have to, you don't have to give me everything. You can send me a text. You can leave me a note on the bathroom mirror. Um, But if you want me to experience it, Okay, if I, if we can turn around and use it for good, and that's what we try to do. What 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 a testimony and a positive way that you're handling it shows that it actually is is from your heart, and that is something you truly believe and truly feel, and it's not just lip service. And it's, absolutely, that does more than than you can imagine, no doubt. Well, and I know it upsets a lot of chiefs that chiefs that I'm still here, <laughs> and I'm like, hey guys. It'll come one day, but not today. Yeah. <laughs> not today. Not today. I still got stuff to do. <laughs> Fair enough. We all do. Yes. No doubt. So I hope you'll come back on again, and we'll make sure Joelle also puts your contact information in the description in the body of, oh, cool. of yeah. this so that uh, they can reach out to you, because we have had people reach out yep. to our guest. Um, can, I, can I say one thing about absolutely. that? And, and, and Tom can testify to this. It's interesting. The book has prompted a lot of wives to reach out to me <laughs> I bet. and say, hey, hey, my husband's a man and he's a cop and he doesn't read, but I need you to fix this. This is him in this book. Can you fix him? <laughs> and I, I've sent a few of them Tom's way actually, yes. recently because I'm Good. like, I don't know what to do. Guys, I'm not sure how to. For- I can't I can't say anything. Or, they have to be ready. But so. Tom's wife has been able to help with that a little bit. And I appreciate that, Tom. Thank you yep. for the opportunity. Our pleasure. Today. Well, and I hope you will consider at some point, too, in the future, maybe even going through one of our stress coach certifications. Uh, is there is there information on that on the website somewhere? We can get or? it to you. You have his email, don't yeah, you? Because we'll yeah. be doing one, I'm hoping, in March. It's a 40-hour certification that we created that is something that you can, you know, as we broaden the stuff we have going on around the country, too. It's things you can do after retirement. Oh yeah, because I yeah, I'm happy. Y'all are the most valuable back, resource. So by all means, sure. So, yeah, by all I, means, let I, me know. I think it's something that could go hand in hand very well, especially with being a chaplain. Our stress coach that runs our peer sport team in Alabama is also a chaplain, and uh, we've had several that have come through that way. So, it, it could be a good fit for the kind of the drive I'm hearing you say about doing peer support mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. It's something that will just give you some more tools and skills to be able to use. Yeah, you can never get enough of those, especially in this area. I agree. By all means. Well, as we wrap this up, do we have business we need to wrap up in any of this? I don't think so. I don't think so at this point. Um, But we want to remind all of our listeners, too, about our 855 number. And this is a toll-free number. It's available 24-7-365-855. 889-2348. And again, if you hit extension one, you are, let it ring. You will get somebody, whatever time, day or night. We don't care where you are in the country. Canada, we've actually had people call from Europe, from Australia, all over. Uh, my cell number, oh, and on that 855 number, if you want to talk to me, though, if you hit my extension, which is two, if I'm not available, it will go to voicemail. Um, but we don't have your number on that extension one. We don't even have the number on our extensions either, yeah, I don't believe. I don't think so. Um, and, Tom, your extension? Uh, f- four. Four. For David Cohen is three, three in Alabama. 
Um, but that extension one, let it ring. Because if I'm tied up, it's rolling to somebody else. Give it a chance to get to another stress coach. My cell number, if you want to talk to me directly that way, is 334-324-3570. I tell most people, text me during the daytime. I don't get to voicemail till late. Um, at night, always call. And don't ever think you're bothering me. And if any one of you tell somebody, I'm not going to call her. She has cancer. I ain't dead yet, people. Uh, don't isolate me. I'm a big girl. I'll tell you if it's not a good day. I promise you I will. Um, but the reality is I fight this fight because of all of you. And I know that this is something I'm supposed to be doing. So don't take my cause away from me. This is too important. And so, again, I'm a big girl. I've been running my life 63, almost 64 years. I told somebody the other day I was going to be 63, and she was like, I think you told me that last year. <laughs> yeah, 59 does make it 64, whatever. It's a number. Um, but reach out to us. Families, you also can reach out to us, and this goes for all first responders, military. Uh, call us. There are things we can maybe help you do to get your loved one in or help you through whatever's going on. Uh, there's nothing we don't deal with. We have helped people from so many angles. It's not counseling. It's education. Reach out to us. Give us a chance. I don't have the answers. I can find somebody who does. Exactly. And if you're interested in our training, uh, probably the best way is to email you, Tom. Sure. And uh, we'll make sure that I think that's always in the body. Also, I think both I believe, of our yes. emails are always in there. And again, Chad's is in there. Uh, we'll make sure Joel puts that in. Uh, we hope you'll come back and listen next time. Again, Chad, thank you very much for taking time out of your day. Uh, to Thank hang you out for with me. us, Appreciate it. absolutely, and we'll have you back again, and maybe one day get you into the stress coaching certification. By all means, let me know. Stay safe out there, everybody, and God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. We appreciate you and your sacrifices. Take care. Call us if we can do something.